Welcome to the 12th episode of the Head Kick KO podcast. Today we're going to be doing a full breakdown of UFC 256. And we're going to spend a lot of time on this card because there were a lot of fun fights on this card. There were a lot of very important fights from title fights to fights with big time title implications. We had some bright prospects and some older veterans. And I would be remiss to not talk about a lot of these fights from this card. It ended up being a very great card from top to bottom. We had a lot of cancellations coming into this one, but this card really was one of the stronger pay-per-views of the year in terms of depth. Maybe not, uh, it wasn't as top-heavy as some other pay-per-views, but in terms of depth and quality of fights throughout the card, this was one of the better pay-per-views of the year, in my opinion. Obviously, we're going to start with the main event. We had DVC Figueredo versus Brandon Moreno in the main event. And this, in my, a lot of people are saying this was fight of the year. In my opinion, it's not quite fight of the year. I would still give that to Joanna and Weili Zhang. But in my opinion, this is probably the second best fight of the year. But considering all the great fights we've had this year, that is still a great honor. And it's a shame that there was a little bit of controversy in this fight. Um, obviously this ended in a draw. It was a war from start to end, but it ended in a draw. And I think that was the right, the right outcome to have in this fight. I think the point deduction was reasonable and understandable. Devison was hit with a point deduction in the third round for an illegal groin shot. Jason Herzog took a point deduction away. Now I think that is reasonable because that wasn't the first penalty of the fight. These were obviously unintentional, but they still had an effect on the fight. There was a big eye poke in there. That was a big groin strike. So for this point deduction, I would say it's reasonable. Um, even if it's unintentional when, unintentional, when you have some illegal strikes starting to compound on one another, you have to take a point away. So that's what the rules are for. They're there. When you, break, when you break them and break them a few too many times, whether it's intentional or unintentional, you're going to get a point taken away. And we saw that today, or last night, excuse me. But we got the right decision with a draw. We had two judges scored a draw, 47-47. But it was really questionable to me how they got those decisions. Because in my eyes and... This was also the Verdict MMA scorecard. If you don't know what Verdict MMA is, it's an app where people from around the world judge fights, and it usually gives you a good, um, a re it gives you a reasonable scorecard for what the final scorecard should be, because there's thousands of people in inputting their scores into this fight, so it spits out a reasonable number for what a global scorecard would look like. So in in Verdict MMA. It was round one went to Figgy, clearly. Round one, round five went to Figgy, clearly. And then rounds three and four went to Moreno. And then the obviously the point deduction in round three. And then in round two, it was a toss-up. So I believe the final score on verdict for round two was 9.55 for Figgy and 9.45 for Moreno. So that pretty much means that in global scorecards, it was a slight edge to Figueredo in round two, and that's how I scored it as well. So, but the judges that scored this fight, one judge gave it four rounds to Figueredo. That's not reasonable. 
you you the correct scorecard, like I said, would be rounds one, two, and five for Figueredo, three and four for Moreno. One judge gave round five to Moreno, another gave and he gave round three to Figgy. Another judge gave round three to Figgy and round two to Moreno. So we really didn't see a judge with the correct scorecard, but we thankfully we got the right decision. So, but that really does raise a big question on judging in terms of we saw three judges tonight and not a single one got the correct scorecard. For me, that's really concerning, but thankfully we were able to get out with the right decision, which was a draw with Figueredo winning three rounds, Moreno winning two, point deduction, it ends up being even. So thankfully, despite the mistakes, we were able to get the correct decision, so that is a very positive, but we shouldn't let that overshadow the performance from both Figueredo and Moreno. A lot of people thought Figueredo was going to go out there and get a big time win. And I agreed. I thought Figueredo was going to go out there and finish Moreno in the first round. And he probably should have finished Moreno in the first round in terms of the strikes that he landed. The toughness of Moreno and the chin of Moreno is what a lot of people and myself included didn't see coming from this fight. Well, I guess we knew he was tough, but there's a difference between being tough and having a strong chin. So Moreno showed that he had a strong chin, figured Edo hit him with just about everything he could in the first round, landed a nice head kick, landed several solid combos to both the body and the head, and Moreno just ate them all and kept returning and landed some very big shots of his own, especially in the third and fourth round. He had Figueredo stunned, wobbled in the fourth round. So Moreno landed some nice shots of his own. But from this fight, I think the biggest thing that I noticed was that in these later rounds, probably after round two, Figueredo really started to slow down and started to lose some conditioning while Moreno did not. And I think that is indicative of the turnaround that both these guys had. Obviously, they're both fighting on 21 days notice. They both fought on the last pay-per-view. But for Moreno, this was a big advantage for him simply because he doesn't cut nearly as much weight as Figueredo does to get down to 125 pounds. Figueredo said he fights at 143, which so he's cutting a good amount of weight to get down to 125. So I think the two weight cuts in a 21-day span would favor Moreno a lot in that situation. Also, Figueredo said he was in the hospital until 2 a.m. the day of the fight, so with food poisoning. So I think in this performance, we saw Figueredo really die down in weather in terms of conditioning based solely off some outside factors that weren't really in his control, being the weight cut and the he said he had food poisoning, which... Dana confirmed that he was in the hospital until 2 a.m. the morning of the fight. So these two are these two things are really big factors that I think really played in Moreno's hand to help him stay in that fight. I think you can make the case that if Figueredo doesn't tire in the third and fourth round, he wins those rounds as well. And with that, you can make the case that he wouldn't have tired if he was wouldn't cut weight um, 20, on 21 days notice and that he was sick. So I think the biggest thing we learned from this was how tough both guys are. That's the thing we learn in wars like this. 
but it shows that Figueredo really has the will to compete, right? A lot of champions will take extended periods of time off. We have a lot of champions now who fought once last year. Stipe fought once last year. Usman fought once this year. Um, Volkanovski fought once this year. Um, for Usman and Volkanovski, they both fought in late 2019. So I guess it's not as bad for them. But a lot of these, uh, Peter, Piotr Jan fought once this year. So for a lot of these champions, they fought once. And that shows how Figueredo is willing to fight and he's willing to stay active. Even when he's sick, he could have easily pulled out of that fight and, and it would have been justified anytime you're in the hospital until 2 a.m. on the day of the fight. And you, if you decide that, hey, I shouldn't be competing because I have food poisoning, and I haven't gotten any sleep because I'm sick. You know, that would be a very reasonable thing to do for Figueredo. But, you know, he stuck in there, continued with the fight, and went out there and performed well, especially in the first and second round and the fifth round. He controlled the fifth round pretty well. So I'm not trying to take away from what Moreno proved in this fight because I think Moreno proved that he's a lot better than everyone thinks he is. With that being said, I still think that Figueredo is the top tier of this division. And I think if we give Figueredo and Moreno time to heal and do a rematch, I think Figueredo would still have the upper hand. I think he would not tire as soon. And I think he would be able to pull ahead in the later rounds and get the win. And another thing is, if you watch the post-fight interview with Figueredo... It was clear that he wasn't himself. Usually he was very, usually he's emotion. He's always emotional, but in a, um, in a more, um, profound way in terms of being excited or being passionate in this fight, he was emotional, but he was more sad and, uh, he didn't look, he didn't seem to be himself. He wasn't acting like himself. He seemed very down and I don't know whether this is the result of a draw or whether it's the sickness that he's been dealing with but afterwards he was transported directly to the hospital and he didn't look great in the hospital picture usually when we see guys I saw a picture of him in the hospital that's what I'm referring to but he looked really dejected in the face he looked um worn out he looked tired he didn't look um that's normally not the reasons we see a fighter go to the hospital Usually see fighters go to the hospital because of the sheer amount of damage that they've taken. But that's not why he went. He looked, you know, tired, worn out. And that could be from fighting four times this year. And he's got one of the tougher, possibly the toughest weight cut in the UFC right now. So I think with some time off, giving himself some time to heal and get healthy, I think he can, you know, really dispatch of Moreno and go out there and get a big win against him and prove that he is still the best by a wide margin and who knows when that's going to come let's give both these guys time to heal there should be no rush in getting these guys back out there there's so many championship fights that the UFC needs to book for 2021 there's 13 or 14 weight divisions and we have one championship fight we have zero championship fights booked for 2021 so there's obviously plenty of championship fights to get worked in these pay-per-views so they can wait as long as they need, especially with how active both Figueredo and Moreno have been. 
Obviously, Cody Garbrandt is a big-time contender at 125 when he moves decides to move down. And he this would be a good opportunity for Cody to come into the 125 division. And with this extended period of time off for Figueredo and the rematch against Moreno, it would give Garbrandt a good opportunity to go to 125, make weight, fight another talented fighter. There's a lot of guys at 125 that need to get matched up still. We have some matchups. We have Eskar Askarov is going up against Benavidez, I believe, if I'm remembering that correctly. Yeah, so we still have Alex Perez, Alexandra Pantoja, Brandon Roy Vall, and um, Manuel Kopp, who, who was the backup fighter for this card. So I think we could get Garbrandt in there against Kopp or Pantoja or Perez. And that would be a good chance for Garbrandt to prove he can compete with the highest at 125 and that he can make the 125 limit. And then you get Moreno. You could possibly put Garbrandt on the same card if he's willing to wait long enough as Moreno and Figueredo. So there's a lot of good opportunity here for a lot of guys, especially Cody. He's not going to get the immediate title shot he wanted, but I think that would be better for him in terms of getting earning a title shot at 125 rather than being just thrown into it he can get his body adjusted to 125 and it gives Cody a chance to heal he's been dealing with repercussions of COVID for a long time so this also gives Cody the opportunity to heal and make sure he's really 100% before he comes back so you know I think this is a good opportunity for all of them and Moving on, speaking of good opportunity, Charles Oliveira gave got a good opportunity fighting Tony Ferguson, and I think he's going to get some more good opportunities to come after that performance. You could make a case that he won each round with a 10-8. On the judges' scorecards, he got one 10-8. The other two were 10-9s. You could make the case they were all 10-8s, but this was an incredibly incredible performance by Charles Oliveira. For this I expected this to be a very competitive fight. A lot of people did. I thought Tony was going to go out there and prove he was still Tony Ferguson of old. But Charles Oliveira went out there and dominated. We haven't seen someone dominate Tony Ferguson in that fashion. We saw Gaethje dominate Tony Ferguson on the feet. But Charles Oliveira dominated Tony Ferguson on the ground. And in the grappling department, it looked like Charles Oliveira was just one step ahead. And this is... Being one step ahead of Tony Ferguson in grappling is a crazy thought. Tony Ferguson is a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt under Eddie Bravo. That's about as high of a steam as you can get as a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. And Charles Oliveira just went out there and simply proved that he was better. You know, He just proved that he was the better grappler of the two. And not so much from a physical standpoint, even from a mental standpoint and from strategic from a strategic standpoint in grappling, he just dominated. He always seemed one step ahead of Tony. And he got that deep arm bar at the end of the first round, almost put Tony away. If there was three more seconds left in the first round, the fight would have been over. So he almost submitted Tony. And Charles Oliveira just proved that he is possibly one of he is possibly the best fighter at 155 pounds outside of Habib. It's gonna be interesting to see whether Habib will return or not. I think with Tony losing, it kind of lessened the chances that Habib returns. 
We're going to have to wait and see what happens with Connor and Poirier in January. But in my eyes, and another thing real quick about Charles Oliveira's performance before we move on, Charles Oliveira showed some great wrestling, some great takedowns. Being able to take down Tony Ferguson like that was incredible. In the first round, he had a nice single leg, picked him up, high crotch, dumped him. Tremendous takedown. Tremendous takedown offense against an All-American wrestler. So, to be able to do that to Tony Ferguson, he beat him in not only the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu background like I talked about, but he also beat him in the wrestling world, which is Tony's world. Tony's a wrestler first and a BJJ guy second. Charles Oliveira is a BJJ guy first and a wrestler second. And he proved he was better in both areas in grappling. So for Charles Oliveira, this was incredible. Now, the question is, what are we going to do with Charles Oliveira now? For Charles, I think he has a lot of good opportunities. We have Poirier and Ferguson, or excuse me, Poirier and Connor, who are matched up on January 23rd. And the rumors are is that we're going to see Gaethje versus Michael Chandler probably in January, February, sometime in that time frame. So that leaves a couple of names in this division. He just beat Tony, so he's probably going to be top three, top four. So I would think that we could see him against someone like Dan Hooker or RDA, or he could wait and try and get the winner of of Connor and Poirier. I think it's more likely that he waits and tries to get the winner of Connor and Poirier. From a strategic standpoint, that's those that's the fight I would want if I was Charles Oliveira. I don't think that Connor or Dustin have the ability to stop the takedowns of Charles Oliveira. I think just about I think he can outgrapple everyone in this division not named Habib. And Habib may be retired right now. We're not really sure. We should find that out within the next one month, two months at most, I'm thinking. Dana's going to have a meeting with Habib. So for Charles Oliveira, we, we're going to see him against some top-level competition, and there's a good chance that he can beat everybody. He's a dynamic striker. He didn't show much striking against Tony Ferguson, which is, was the right game plan. But if you go back and watch his Kevin Lee fight, he was dusting Kevin Lee on the feet. He had good one-twos. He throws knees, throws flying kicks, throws front kicks. Very dynamic striker who really mixes it up well. And then with that grappling background, he's going to be very hard to beat. We're just going to have to see. Kenny, the second he gets a takedown on someone like Poirier or Connor or Gaethje even, He's probably going to be able to submit them. Tony Ferguson, in terms of BJJ, is one of the harder guys to submit. He almost submitted him and controlled the whole fight. So there's a good chance that Charles Oliveira can beat every single person in this weight class, not name Habib. And there's a chance, I think he would have the best chance out of all the previously mentioned guys to beat Habib. We thought it was going to be Tony Ferguson. But there is a chance that Charles Oliveira is kind of who we thought Tony Ferguson once was. We still think Tony Ferguson is great. But Charles Oliveira now is more like prime Tony Ferguson. So getting Charles Oliveira versus Habib would be the equivalent to a prime Tony 
versus a prime Habib. So we could see this matchup in the future if Charles can go out there and get a couple couple more wins. One a win against Connor or Dustin, I think, would really put him in the conversation for a chance at Habib. I think that's a fight you could possibly get Habib out for. Before this fight, I thought there was no way he, that Habib would return for Charles Oliveira. But if he can come out here and prove that he is the next best grappler in this division, it may just drag him, may just drag Habib out of retirement. We're just going to have to wait and see. There's a chance. I don't think it's a large chance, but there is a chance. I think it largely depends on how he performs against someone like Connor or Poirier. We're just going to have to wait and see. And there's a chance that we could see um, Oliveira versus Islam eventually even, who Islam is obviously trains with, with Habib. So if Charles could go out there and beat Islam, there's a chance he could drag Habib out of retirement. We're just going to have to wait and see. We can't really tell right now. This is kind of all speculation. But if Islam can go out there and perform well against Drew Dober, I believe is his next fight, and he gets a boost in the rankings, we could see that matchup, which could really show some of uh, Islam has a similar style to Habib, so it could really show that he could deal with that style. We're just going to have to wait and see, I guess. Moving on. We are going to look at Mackenzie Dern versus Jenny Roba. So Mackenzie Dern looked great in this fight. This is like it's very similar to the previous matchup of Tony versus Oliveira in the way that we had two high-level Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu practitioners here, two black belts, two world. Mackenzie Dern, I believe, has world championships in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. One of the more anticipated transitions into MMA. But with when a lot of times when you have two grapplers of such high level, we see the fight take place at the feet because they don't want to test each other's grappling. Similar to Kamaru Usman versus Colby Covington last uh, year from now is when in that fight would have taken place. So we saw this fight take place on the feet. And this really proved a lot about Mackenzie Dern in the sense that she has been improving drastically in her striking. She's working with Jason Perillo, who is a boxing coach. Who is who was um, um, Bisbing's coach? So he is a great boxing coach, and for Mackenzie Dern, that's a great coach for her to have because she doesn't need any help getting the fight to the ground. Doesn't need any help with ground game. So Perillo was a great coach for her, and the main thing that Mackenzie Dern showed in this is that she's willing to throw hands with somebody. You see a lot of times high-level grapplers come into MMA and they don't really want to be on the feet and they're not effective on the feet. That's what we saw with Chase Hooper on the early prelims. We're going to talk about Chase Hooper earlier or later, I mean. We're going to talk about him later. But a lot of times you won't see high-level grapplers want to exchange on the feet. But Mackenzie Dern showed that not only is she willing to exchange on the feet, she can exchange on the feet effectively. She showed some really good boxing, and she showed some incredible toughness. She got hit with a big knee and broke her nose in the second round. Comes back. Um, it was 1-1 going into the third. She's got a broken nose, and she goes out there and wins the third round pretty decisively and is able to win the fight because of that. So we saw from Dern that she is not just a ground specialist, that she can do some work on the feet. She's not an elite striker, that's not what I'm saying, but she can manage on the feet. She can be an effective striker, and she's 
tough. That's the main thing we learned is a lot of people thought when she first transitioned into MMA is that she wouldn't want to get in some big exchanges. And she proved tonight that she is willing to get in those exchanges and that she can win those exchanges. So I'm so excited to see where Mackenzie Dern can go from here. I think she deserves a move up in the rankings. And I'd like we have Marina Rodriguez and Amanda Hibas who are fighting in January. And Mackenzie Dern is behind them in the rankings. So I'd like to see Dern against someone like Claudia Gadella or Michelle Waterson. I think those are both good matchups for Dern. They're both very talented um, veterans in that 115-pound division. I like the Michelle Waterson matchup a little bit more because Michelle Waterson is a good grappler, but she is an elite striker. So putting Dern against someone who is an elite striker, and we could really see some more development out of this striking game, or she can prove that when she's facing an elite striker, she can deal with the striking, get the fight to the ground, and finish the fight on the ground. So I think Michelle Waterson would be a fun fight that could really prove her worth in this 115-pound division. And Gadella would be another fun fight. And Tisha Torres, who also fought on this card, would be another fun fight for Mackenzie Dern. There's a lot of options for Dern. There's a lot of fighters in this 115-pound division that aren't matched up. Right now, we just have Marina Rodriguez and Amanda Hebes matched up. Other than that, there's a lot of openings in that top 10 to get a top 10 opponent for Mackenzie Dern. And I do imagine that she's going to move up in the rankings. And I do think it's going to be a slower move up in the rankings for Dern as it should be because she is improving drastically in between each fight. So move her up slowly. And I think she can be someone who can eventually challenge for a title in this 115 pound division. This is the deepest division in women's MMA. So that she's going to have some tough matchups going on. You have fighters like Joanna and you have fighters like Rose and Carla Esparza who are established names, who are very good fighters. And it would be, and Weili Zhang obviously is a champion who is an incredible striker. So there's going to be an uphill battle for Dern, but she can do it. She has the ability to really beat a lot of these guys and if she can develop her striking, she could be a champ for sure. And then we also saw Kevin Holland versus Jacare on this main card, which was a great fight on this main card. Coming into this, um, Jacare and Kevin Holland both had a lot of movement for who their opponent was going to be. This was Jacare coming up back down to 185 pounds. His last fight was against Jan Blahovich at heavyweight. So, for Jacare, he's coming back to 185. He was scheduled to fight Marvin Vittori. And then Kevin Holland was scheduled to fight Jacker Manson. Excuse me. Jacker Manson tested positive for COVID. So, they just flipped Holland and Vittori. So, Vittori went against Hermanson. We talked about that last week. This week, we saw Holland versus Jacare. And Kevin Holland went out there and performed. Kevin Holland did what Kevin Holland does. He talked in the fight. Kevin Holland's a very entertaining guy. Gotta love Kevin Holland. He's hilarious. But the way he finished that fight, we don't see that. That's not something we see. We've seen guys... He So if you didn't see the fight, he finished the fight off his back. Jacare was on top. He postured up from full guard. And Kevin Holland threw a big right hand off the bottom. And 
put Jacare out, and then Jacare went back, and Kevin Holland got on top, finished with some more ground and pound. But the ability to generate that much power off his back is something that we don't see. We've seen other guys get finishes off the back, but it usually comes with elbows or an upkick. Never have we, I don't think I've ever seen someone throw that effective of a punch from the bottom like that. It just shows how, just how powerful Kevin Holland is. If you didn't see his fight against um, Joaquin Buckley, who's a big time prospect in that 185 pound division, he put out Buckley cold and Kevin Holland has so much potential to be a superstar. Just his persona and he fought five times this year. And he talks trash and fans love him. So for Kevin Holland, I think the sky is the limit. I think if you if he ever gets into that title picture at 185 pounds, him and Adesanya talking trash to each other would be hilarious. There's a lot of other guys like that, like Darren Till versus Adesanya would be a fun one as well. And I'm interested to see where the UFC wants to go with Kevin Holland in the near future. He called out Hazmat Chimaev after the fight, and he wants to fight next weekend. He wants to fight this, well, now it's this weekend, now it's Saturday. He fought yesterday, and he wants to fight this upcoming Saturday against Hazmat Chimaev. Hazmat Chimaev obviously has gotten famous, well, not famous, but he's gotten recognition in the MMA community for turning around and doing these quick and short-notice fights and fighting back-to-back. And Kevin Holland said, well, I can do it better. I'll fight you next weekend. So I don't think we're going to see that. The UFC seems pretty dead set on Hamzat versus Leon Edwards, which has been booked, or it's looking to get booked back in January. We're going to talk about that later. That's going to be one of our concluding thoughts here. But for Kevin Holland, and in the post fight, he said that he doesn't really think that that's likely that we're going to see him versus Hamzat next week. He, you know, it is unlikely. He, it is a fun call out, but it's very unlikely. In the post fight, he said he wanted to call out. He called out Derek Brunson in the um, backstage interview. He said that Derek Brunson's talked some trash, slid in the Instagram DM, said he was going to slam him on the head, on his head. And Kevin Holland said, "Okay, you can slam me on my head, but I'm going to punch you in the face." So Kevin Holland, when you know, going against Derek Brunson and Derek Brunson, that's a that's a fight that I would like to see for Kevin Holland. Obviously, Derek Brunson's last fight was against um, Edmund Shabazian, who was another up-and-comer in this 185-pound division. But Derek Brunson seems to be the guy that the UFC gives to a lot of these up-and-coming 185-pounders. And it's really the the litmus test of who's the elite of 185. If you can beat Brunson, now you're getting in there with the big names. If you can't beat Brunson, you're going to stay in the bottom half of the rankings for now. That's what we saw with Shabazian, and we saw the same with Adesanya. Adesanya fought Brunson, and then he moved up to the top half of the rankings, obviously went on to win the bout. So I like that Kevin Holland versus Derek Brunson matchup. I think if we, in I'm not sure that that's going to happen, because we've seen Derek Brunson call out just about everybody. He's been calling out Derek, Derek or Darren Till. Every time, every time someone wins, loses, or says a word on Instagram or Twitter, Derek Brunson will say, come fight me. So you never know what Derek Brunson's true plans are, but it's looking like we're going to see Darren Till versus Marvin Vittori. Um, Vittori called for that fight. Darren Till said, um, or Vittori said, let me remember this correctly so I'm not misquoting anybody. 
Vittori said he wanted to fight for the king of Europe in the 185-pound division. Darren Till said, I liked your performance. I'm in. And then Nick Maynard, the one of the matchmakers for the UFC, said, hey, good idea, guys. So it's look like looking like that Darren Till versus Marvin Vittori fight is going to be in the works. And I think that's the right fight to make in terms of Darren Till and Marvin Vittori. Uh, Vittori called out some higher-ranked guys like Costa and Cannonier, I believe. So we are going to... But Darren Till is not a bad name to settle for in that 185-pound division. And I'd like to see Darren Till get on, get back on track against Vittori. Vittori is a good striker, and but he's also very good on the ground. And if Darren Till can keep it on the feet, I think he can win that fight. But he can go out there and prove that he's an elite striker and that he can keep the fight on the feet um, after his last loss to Whitaker. So, Vittori versus Till, that's the right matchup. That leaves Derek Brunson unbooked. And a lot of these guys at 185 are booked. So, I think Kevin Holland versus Derek Brunson in January or February would be smart. I think that it would be fun to see Kevin Holland on a Conor McGregor card. That main or The main card only has four fights right now. And I think Derek Brunson versus Kevin Holland would be the perfect co-main event for that card. You get more eyes on Kevin Holland, who is someone with superstar potential. So that's a good way to grow Kevin Holland as a fighter. Let's see him back in there January 23rd against Derek Brunson. That's what I'm saying. There's not many open names left in this 185-pound division. We've got Gastelum is fighting Ian Hydgetts. We've got Shabazian, or excuse me, we've got Uriah Hall facing Chris Weidman. We've got Omari Akhmedov fighting Tom Brees. So there's really not a lot of names left in this 185-pound division to square off. But I think that Brunson versus Holland would be a, or excuse me, Brunson versus, um, yeah, Brunson versus Holland would be the right fight to make in late January for that Conor Poirier card. And if you can't make that Holland, and Brunson fight. Then look at Shabazian. Shabazian would be a fun one as well versus Kevin Holland. You got two up-and-comers, two great strikers. That'd be a really fun matchup. So right now I'm leaning towards Brunson, but if you can't make Brunson, go Shabazian in January. And then on this as well, last fight on the or the first fight on the main card, last fight on the main card that we have left to talk about is Surreal Gain Vergan. Surreal Gan versus Junior Dos Santos. There was a lot of controversy on the finish of this fight. Surreal Gan wobbled JDS. JDS looked, it looked like the fight was eventually going to be over. Surreal Gan just needed to hit him with a few more shots to really finish it. And Gan goes to throw an elbow. And JDS turns away. And the elbow lands on the back of the head. Not, well... It lands on the back of the head, but not in the back back, like this region here. It landed more here. So, and if you're watching on Spotify or or Apple or wherever, you didn't see that. I kind of gave a little demonstration for YouTube. So it wasn't on the back back of the head, but it was more on the side, a little bit on the back of the head. But it was a legal strike because JDS was moving away. And since he was throwing an elbow, you have the elbow, this portion of the elbow hits the hit the back slash side of the head but this portion hits the ear so if you're connecting with the ear it is a legal strike that's that that rule is in place because when you throw a head kick the shin lands across the jaw and the ear and the back of the foot hits 
or the front of the foot hits the back of the head, it wraps around like this, hits the back of the head. So that's why that rule is in place, which it does make sense. So JDS was moving away, turned his back a little, which JDS has a tendency to do. He did the same thing to Nganu, but when he turned his back to Nganu, Nganu threw a hook and hit him in the in the jaw still and put him out. So that's a bad tendency that JDS does. You don't really see fighters turn away like that that often. JDS has done it in two of his most recent losses. And for this, this was a legal strike, and it kind of outshadows Surreal's performance because his performance was great. He went out there very, very agile, very light on his feet, threw some great, great um, leg kicks, great kicks all around, actually, not just leg kicks. He threw some several great head kicks. Didn't Well, they landed, but they were blocked. But blocked head kicks are still effective. Threw some nice kicks to the body, a lot of great kicks to the legs. He kept the perfect range to hit JDS with a, with a kick where JDS cannot respond with a punch. So great performance by Surreal Gan. And it was overshadowed by that ending sequence, but it was legal. And I don't really like the way that JDS went up to, after the fight, if you didn't see, JDS walks up to Surreal Gan and starts, you know, pretty much criticizing him for hitting him in that back of the head. It's like, come on, what do you, JDS, you've been in a fight before. You know that Surreal Gan is such a nice guy. Surreal Gan did not do it on purpose, and he didn't. And it was a legal strike, right? So we're debating a legal strike that JDS is upset about. And Surreal Gan is such a nice guy that he just says, "Oh, I'm sorry. You know, I didn't mean to. I was trying to hit you in the face." And Surreal Gan is such a nice guy about it. And then JDS just comes up and starts ridiculing him about it. You know, not really a great look from JDS. I understand if you'd be upset after a loss like that, where if you were dominating, but. Shreel Khan was in control of all five minutes of that first round. He was in control of the second round, landed some big shots to hurt JDS, and then he, while he was putting JDS away, he hits a legal strike that partially hits him in the back of the head, but it is a legal strike. So I don't know why JDS is upset about this, and he wasn't really nice to Surreal Ghan about it, and Surreal Ghan is one of the nicest guys on the planet. So this is, I think... This is probably JDS's last fight in the UFC. UFC has been open about cutting older fighters who get paid a lot. JDS was a former champion, therefore he gets paid a lot. And he's lost his last four in a row, I believe. Let me fact check that. But he hasn't performed great in his last couple fights. And in the post-fight, Dana said that he thinks he should retire. So... If JDS decides he doesn't want to retire, chances are he's going to get cut. And this fight didn't help him. Yeah, he's lost his last four in a row. All in 2019, or 22 and 20, one in, nine, excuse me, one in 2019, three in 2020, four TKOs against Surreal Gan, Jarzinho, Curtis Blades, and Francis Ngannou. So when you have four losses in a row, all by TKO, one in the first round, three in the second round, and none of those fights were very competitive up to that point where he gets finished. So I think this is likely JDS's last fight in the UFC. He is a legend, but I think it's time for JDS to retire. And if he doesn't want to retire, he's probably going to get cut. And 
with that being said, if he does get cut, I can't imagine there's going to be a lot of a lot of organizations that are really looking to pick him up. If Yoel Romero didn't get picked up by Bellator because he was too, too old, they're not going to pick up JDS. Um, the only old guy that has been released from the UFC that we've seen picked up recently was Fabricio Verdum. His contract ended with the UFC, and he signed with PFL. But Fabricio Verdun was coming off a win against Alexander Gustafson, so that's a big that's a big big difference between JDS JDS's four losses in a row. And then we have uh, Anthony Johnson just went to Bellator. We're going to talk about that later, but he's a lot younger than JDS. JDS is in his high thirties; he's almost forty. Anthony Johnson is not really even close to that let's let me double check how old jds is or um oh anthony johnson is 36 but he hasn't fought in a while he's probably got a several good years left but you know anthony johnson is has taken time off recently and is a more exciting fighter than jds as of recently that's why he got signed by bellator so chances are if jds retire if he gets cut then he probably won't be able to sign with anyone Maybe PFL, maybe the PFL will sign him so they can put him against Fabricio Verdum. I don't even, I'm not even confident in saying that, but the chances are he's either going to retire or get cut. And that's a shame to say. And I missed this when I was talking about Jack Array versus Holland. Jack Array is probably in a position where he's going to retire or get cut. He's lost at least two in a row Jack Array has. So, um, for Jack Array, he is also, a, we talked about this last week, um, and it's really a tough, yeah, Jack Array's lost three in a row against Jack Hermanson, Jan Blachowicz, and Kevin Holland. Before that, he's got a win against Chris Weidman, then loss, win, loss. So, it's really, he's won two of his last three, four, five, six, seven, two of his last seven. Not great for Jack Array. So he's 41. He's a bigger name. So for Jack Array and JDS, both are probably in very similar situations where they're probably going to get cut by the UFC. And I can't imagine they're going to have too many, too many phone calls for them out there. And they, it's really a tough, tough for both of them because both JDS and Jack Array had such tough matchups. Kevin Holland and Surreal Gan are two big time up-and-comers in their respective divisions so for Jack Array and for for Jack Array and JDS it looks like their time in the UFC is probably coming to an end moving oh and for what's next for Surreal Gan this is a tough one I was looking at the rankings the heavyweight division is pretty booked up you have Stipe and Francis are gonna fight that's not booked yet, but they're going to fight. It's been all but confirmed. Dana said that's the fight to make. They're going to make that fight. Then you have Jarzinho at three, who isn't booked. But you have Derek Lewis at four, who's fighting Curtis Blades at two. Then you have Alistair Overeem at five, fighting Volkov at six. That leaves, so, and then JDS is at seven, and obviously Cyril Ghosn just beat him. So Ghosn is probably going to move up to that seven slot. And that leaves us the question of, we want to see Gan move up in the rankings, but there's one guy, and it's Jarzinho Rosenstrike. That'd be a really fun matchup, but it might be too early for that matchup. So, 
is going to be interesting. I think a good matchup for Cyril Ghosn would be Walt Harris, who is someone who has recently, he his last fight was against Alexander Volkov, so he has fought some of the top guys. A more experienced fighter, I think that would be a good matchup for Cyril Ghosn while we wait for some of these results in the top half of this division to come out. I think once we get some of these names, some of the names are already booked up. Once we get these fights done, it's really going to bust open in this heavyweight division. So I think Walt Harris versus Surreal Gun is the fight to make for Surreal Gun. And uh, that would give him some more experience before he gets up to the upper echelon of guys like Jarzinho, Derek Lewis, and a lot of these other top strikers in the heavyweight division. Moving on, we had Cub Swanson on the prelims fighting um, Pineda. Cub looked great in this fight. Cub is, Cub was out, if you didn't know, because of a torn ACL. He was out for a while. His last fight was against Crone Gracie, where he looked very good, won that fight. And then he comes out here in this fight, and he would have won performance of the night for the knockout of the night if it weren't for Kevin Holland's knockout over Jack Array. And Kevin Holland dropped Pineda several times, looked great the whole fight, and Pineda even went for a heel hook on Cub, which was the same move where Cub tore his ACL. Cub got out of that, and very did a lot of damage on the feet, tired Pineda, got the win. Great to see Cub Swanson back in the 145-pound division. There's a The 145-pound division is stacked right now, so it's going to be fun seeing who's next for who is next for Cub Swanson? They're probably going to throw him in there against a younger prospect. There's a lot of fun names out there. So really, you could put Cub against just about anyone, and it's going to be a fun fight. So I'm not going to throw out any names because you could do literally anyone. I think Sadiq Yusuf. I just said I'm not going to throw out any names. I am going to throw out names. I changed my mind. I think Sadiq Yusuf would be a fun fight. His last fight was against Andre Feely. And he performed it very well. And I don't believe that Sadiq Yusuf is booked as of right now. And he's been looking for a fight. So I think Sadiq Yusuf versus Cub Swanson is the fight to make for Cub. He looked well enough to get a ranked guy in that last fight. And Sadiq is a good prospect who can use some more work against an experienced guy like Cub. And then we had... Rafael Fazid versus Renato Moicano. This performance by Fazid was incredible. There were some moments uh, where Moicano looked good, had a good jab. Moicano's nobody's chump. He's a very good fighter himself, but Fazid looked incredible. He throws great combos. He finished the fight with um, body-head-head combo. He threw a left uppercut to the body. Landed nicely, finished with a right hook, left hook, puts Moicano down. A lot of people didn't like the stoppage, but it was the right stoppage. Uh, they pulled Fazid off Moicano, and then Mo- Moicano started to debate the stoppage, and then he tried to stand up, and he fell down when he tried to stand up. If you can't stand up, you can't argue that it wasn't a that it was a bad stoppage. That's my opinion. If you can't stand, then you shouldn't be able to argue the stoppage. I feel like that's a pretty fair assessment of that. So he couldn't stand, so I think it was a good stoppage. And for Fazid, another thing I like from Fazid, I just said he throws great combos, but he throws combos with kicks 
well, better than most guys in the UFC. He threw a, a lot of people throw punch kick combos, so they lead. Uh, Robert Whitaker has a jab cross head kick combo that he likes to throw. Several fighters throw that. Some guys like jab cross leg kick, jab leg kick. Those are some of the more popular combos that we see in the UFC. But for um, for physique, he throws some crazy combos. He threw a he, he threw a um, hook, leg kick, body kick. So it was a right hook, left or right yeah right hook left leg kick then right body kick. And he throws those quick. His striking is is another level. His the combo was such a nice combo that I had to think about it because it's not a common combo that we see. So um, for him, he throws these great beautiful combos. He throws them fast and he throws them accurate. And he's great defensively striking. He pulls very well. A lot of guys don't have that pull in their defensive arsenal, because he does, and he uses it at an elite level. I'd like to see Fazid against someone in the rankings soon. I had a conversation with someone else about where do we put Fazid. Um, the names were Gregor Gillespie, Ally Quinta, and Kevin Lee. And out of those, the um, main name that stuck out to me was Kevin Lee. Gregor Gillespie got knocked out in his last matchup. The last thing we need to do is throw Gregor Gillespie to the Wolves. Let's get Gregor Gillespie someone he can get a win against. Ally Quinta, don't know when he's going to fight again, but because um, he's been inactive as of recent, hasn't even talked about when he's going to get back in there. So that leaves Kevin Lee. Kevin Lee is someone who has fought at the top of the lightweight division, has had two ACL surgeries. So great wrestler, and he's looking to return early 2021. So I think this is the perfect matchup for both guys. Kevin Lee can go out there and prove he's still an elite guy at 155 pounds. Fasid can go out there and prove that he can stop a takedown from someone with the wrestling like Kevin Lee. Because you're going to have to do that in this lightweight division with guys like Chandler, Dos Santos, and um, Oliveira running around. You have to be a great grappler to perform at the top level of this division. So it proves that he can effectively stop a takedown. And, it, and on the other hand, for Lee, it proves that he is still an elite guy at 155 pounds. Makes so much sense to me. And I hope we see that matchup. And if we don't see that matchup, there's still a lot of fun fights at 155 to allow Fazid to grow before you throw him into the wolves like that. And then Gavin Tucker versus Billy Q. And this is a fight that really surprised me. I knew this was going to be a great fight. Well, I shouldn't say it like that. I thought this was going to be a great fight because Billy Q and um, Gavin Tucker are two of the better prospects in the 145-pound division. So coming into this, everybody thought it was going to be a scrap. Billy Quarantillo was the type of guy to push the pace on someone and try and break them, making a dirty scrap with a lot of punches being thrown. That's exactly what Billy Q was able to do. But Gavin Tucker shined in that that's not a style that a lot of people expect Gavin Tucker to shine in so he beat Billy Quarantillo at his own game which is so incredibly impressive and the best thing about this performance is Tucker proved is that he's got good wrestling he was able to take Billy Quarantillo down and really do some good work on the ground 
And when it was on the feet, he looked technically strong. Throws a good jab, has good head movement. And this is another guy. I feel like every week I get on this podcast and I talk about someone who fought at 145 pounds who could be an elite fighter. I think 145 pounds is probably the deepest division in MMA right now. Last week it was Ila Tuporia. You know, we've talked about Giga Jikatze in the past. We've talked about Hakeem Dawadu. We've talked about um, Ludwig Kine. These are all guys who are elite, elite talents or high, high potential talents. And we just don't see other divisions like 145 pounds with this depth of potential and quality mixed. A guy like Cub Swanson, we just saw what Cub Swanson did. He wasn't ranked coming into this. And I don't think he's going to be ranked after that in the 145-pound rankings. Because he's in, in the 145-pound rankings, you've got Hall, Bryce Mitchell, Edson Barbosa, Shane Burgos, Dan Ige. You're not going to see Cub jump any of those guys to get in the rankings. So for this 145 pounds, it's deep with veterans, potential, and quality. And I don't think any other division can say that. Even 155 pounds would be the closest. But I think that 145 pounds has the better prospects than um, 155 pounds. Obviously, Fazid is a great prospect. But there's just you're not going to hit on every prospect. You're going to get busts with prospects. But the sheer volume at 145 pounds for prospects and quality is tremendous. And coming up, even there's going to be more great fights at 145 pounds. That's my weight class to look out for 2021 for fun fights, fighters coming up. It's going to get to the point where you're going to be looking at these 145-pound rankings. You're going to be saying, where's this guy? Where's this guy? Where's this guy? Because there's so many, there's so much talent. I don't think it's as top-heavy as 155, but I think the depth is what sets it apart from 155. Um, even you're looking at someone like, like I just said, Barbosa, Bryce Mitchell, Ryan Hall. These are 13, 14, and 15. That's probably the best out of any divisions, 13, 14, and 15, bottom area guys. you still got guys like Cub, Giga, Hakeem, all these types of guys. Cub, yeah, I said Cub. So this 145-pound division is stacked with so much potential. Another guy at 145 with so much potential, this is the last fight I'm going to talk about from last night, is Chase Hooper. Chase Hooper gets a lot of flock because he's not a great striker. And he didn't look great on the feet, right? But he is an elite grappler. And he wasn't able to get takedowns until he started doing Imanari rolls. He started getting takedowns, and the second he gets the fight to the ground, he controls the fight on the ground. Chase Hooper is an amazing grappler. If Chase Hooper can get average stand-up, he's going to be elite. He's already elite on the ground. He's more than elite on the ground. But the second that he gets good takedown offense and good defensive striking with a little mix of quality offensive striking, he's going to be a handful for anyone at 145 pounds to deal with. And I hope he goes to a boxing gym and stays in the boxing, a kickbox, probably a kickboxing gym due to his length. I hope he goes to a kickboxing gym and stays in it for a long time. I hope he rents a kickboxing gym and gets a bed in there and stays in there and just trains his kickboxing because that's how good of a grappler he is, where to the point where if he can get good kickboxing with his length at that division, he would be someone who 
can have, be ridiculously good. I hope they keep throwing them in there with guys similar to Peter Barrett's skill in terms of someone with good stand-up to challenge him and uh, with good takedown defense to make him work. I don't want to see him in there against anyone who's... I don't want to see him get pushed fast. I want to see him get... I want to see Chase Hooper develop in front of our eyes. He doesn't need to fight very frequently. Fight him once, twice a year until he's proven that he's got the good stand-up and good takedown offense. But, you know, give him time to develop with this kid. And He's still only 21 and so much potential for Chase Hooper here. And I'm excited to see what he can do in the near future. And then some other news that I wanted to talk about outside of UFC 256 was Anthony Johnson to Bellator. We talked about it a little bit, but it looked like Anthony Johnson was released from the UFC. And the reasoning for this is that he was in that USADA test. He entered the USADA testing pool. If you're going to sign with Bellator, you don't need to be in the USADA testing pool because Bellator does not use USADA for drug tests. So when he entered the USADA testing pool, that that means he thought he was going to fight in the UFC. So to see uh, to see Anthony Johnson eventually in Bellator was confusing to me because uh, he signed he went in that USADA testing pool, talked about a UFC return, then all of a sudden it was boom, signed with Bellator. So this Bellator 205 pound division is their best division by a mile. Phil Davis, Ryan Bader, the champ, there's a lot of good guys in this division, and uh, it's going to be a fun, or Corey Anderson just signed with them, he's had one fight with them, it's going to be a fun division to look out for, for Bellator, some guys are trying to make the case that the Bellator 205 pound division is better than the UFC's, I don't believe that to be true, I think you could make the case possibly, I don't think it's better than the UFC's 205 pound division, but so look out, look out for that Bellator 205-pound division. Let's see what they can do. The last bit of news that I wanted to break down was Hazmat Chimaya versus Leon Edwards. That fight has is looking to be booked on January 20th. So the plan for the UFC is to go to Fight Island, fight Friday, Wednesday, Friday, when they return for the new year. F- or, excuse me, Saturday, Wednesday, Friday. No, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday. Third time's a charm. Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday. First Saturday being Holloway versus Kelvin Qatar in the main event. Then the Wednesday being Hazmat versus Leon Edwards. Saturday being McGregor versus Poirier. So that would be tremendous. And I think there's a lot of fights for the January area that they're looking to book. So um, props to the USC for that. That's going to be a fun three-fight stretch. Three great main events. Simple as that. And I'm excited to see Leon Edwards versus Hazmat Jumayev. It's a shame we couldn't see it in 2020, but it's going to happen in 2021. It's looking like not official, but uh, it has been, it's verbally agreed upon, almost a done deal. I think we're going to see a official announcement soon. And it's looking like they're going to break a lot of fights in that uh, time frame that they're not putting on cards after the 19th to the, after the 19th of this year. And after and before the 16th of next year, I think there's going to be a big stretch of there where we see a lot of fight announcements. Just based on how Dana has talked, he's said, I'm going on vacation. Once I get back from vacation, I'll figure this out. So 
I think we're going to see a lot of fight announcements for the, those January cards in that time frame. So look out for those. Go ahead and follow the other social medias. Um, we have TikTok, Instagram, Twitter. I'm on Tapology now. So if you're uh, big on Tapology, I'm on Tapology. And so go follow those other social media accounts. We're going to start posting more on those. I've got some content ideas for those. I've been active on Twitter. Not so active on Instagram and TikTok, but I've got ideas for ways to be more active on those social media accounts. Very active on Twitter. I tweet while I'm watching the fights. So go follow me on Twitter. And we are getting on more streaming platforms now. We're on Spotify, YouTube, Google, Apple, several other smaller ones like Anchor, and um, I can't remember the last one's name. I'll tell you in the next episode. Very small streaming platform, but we're on almost all recognizable streaming platforms right now. So go follow on those. And we are, I'm looking at making more YouTube content. As I just talked about, December 19th is the last card of this year. First card of next year isn't till the isn't till January 16th. So for that month, around a month time frame, I don't want to, I'm not going to make podcasts. I'm going to make YouTube videos and short, shorter videos. So go watch those. Those should be out relatively soon. I might have one this week and but I'll definitely have some two. I'm looking at doing two, maybe three a week over this fight break. I won't be doing podcasts during that time frame. So next week will be my last podcast until the next fight card, but I will not stop with content. There will be content throughout that time frame on YouTube. So look out for that. And thank you for watching this episode of the Head Kick KO podcast. And be sure to come back next week when we do a full breakdown of UFC Thompson versus Neil. And in that, we're going to be breaking down other fight news as well. So look out for that. And um, for this week, I'm out. Thank you very much.